I'm Minnie Latif and I'm Australia's beauty boss and this is the business behind the beauty. You see, it doesn't just take a village, it takes a pack of wolves to hunt through the business world. And after 10 years in the beauty industry, I'm going to give my wolf gang the true story behind what it really takes to run your own hustle. Together, we will survive the highs and lows of the dirty word entrepreneurship. So plug in and escape. These next moments are all yours. West Side for life. Enjoy the episode. Okay guys, this is going to be the very first podcast for the business behind the beauty. And what I thought I would do would start with the very first backstory of Ottoman 3, but it turns out I'm just going to start right in the middle of our Ottoman 3 journey or my journey as an entrepreneur at Ottoman 3 because that's what I feel like talking about today. So that's the way we're going to start. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe and rate and why don't you take a screenshot and post it on your Instagram story so we can all spread the Wolfgang love. You'll find me on Instagram under Australia's Beauty Boss. A lot of people do know this, but we once upon a time had a store in Maya Chadston. And for those of you loyal, devoted Ottoman 3 brow babes, you all know we started off at Maya High Point. That was our very first store. So a little bit of a backstory, guys. When we first started our brow bar, we were actually a nail and brow bar. So we were called Ottoman 3 Nail and Brow Bar. And I was living in London at the time, saw that nails was a thing by a company called Nails Inc, which is still around. And they were in several department stores across the UK. And there was also a brow threading company called Blink that was also in several department stores across the UK. They were completely separate to each other, but they were kind of close to one another on the department store floor, um, but they weren't together. And I would go every couple of weeks, precisely every three weeks uh, to get my nails and my brows done. And I always thought to myself, this is just the same timing. Every three weeks, I would go jump on the tube down to Knightsbridge and go get my nails done and my brows done at, oh God, what was it called? It starts with an F. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot the name of the department store. It wasn't John Lewis. It was something, it was the one a little bit more fancier. But anyway, I can't remember. Nonetheless, I will remember another time. I'm so sorry. But it was like a John Lewis. And um, I just realized we don't have anything like that in Australia. So I literally packed my bags, finished off my business plan. And I'm going to tell that story in depth in another podcast. But for now, that is why I came up with the idea to approach my department store, because we just didn't have anything that did both of those things in that three-week interval, hence the three in Ottoman three back then. Now the three means very different things today and that's for another time as well. But nonetheless, we did manage to get ourselves a meeting at Maya, got into High Point, set up, everything was wonderful. First year, we turned over a million bucks in revenue. Things were great. Maya loved us. It was way beyond our expectations. 
expectations. Everything's wonderful. Success story. Why High Point? I'm a Western suburbs girl of Melbourne, Australia. So Maya actually asked me to open the store in Sydney, CBD store on George Street. I flew over to Sydney, checked it out. It was in this little back room where uh, Joe Bailey used to be, I believe at the time. This is going back 10 years, guys, or probably 11 years now when it was the year that we were building. Um, we opened our doors in 2009, May 23rd. So this would have been 2008 when I was going through the different options of which location and I just thought I'm going to stick to the mentality that people stick to when it comes to choosing real estate location 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 and when you're first starting out in property though it's a different business model one of the things that experts do say to you is buy in neighborhoods that you're familiar with when you're first starting out so I use the same principle with which Maya to choose from so I chose the area that I was familiar with which was high point it's the shopping center that I literally grew up in when I was shopping uh, back in the day when I was a wee child. So I said to them, no, don't want Sydney CBD. I want Maya High Point in Victoria. And they were bamboozled by that. They're like, oh, really? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, that's definitely who I want, where I want, and it's what I'm familiar with. So that actually made the negotiation a lot easier. Got in and everything is dandy. A year in, we're like, okay, let's continue on with our 10 year plan and open our next store. And then our next store after that and so on and so forth. However, we have to pick which stores are we going to pick for our store number two, three, four. And I was like, well, if High Point's done so well, I think it's really obvious. We're going to have to go into the fashion capital of Victoria, which was was at the time known as Chadston Shopping Centre. And when I asked them that, they all laughed at me at Maya and said, listen, um, that is our top three location in Australia. And we just simply cannot give you that space. Also, just knowing our business, we would typically sit on the cosmetic floor, which is the highest valued real estate in Maya. Cosmetics is a hot commodity, right? So they were not keen to give me that space and they gave me a definitive no. No deal to Chadston. So I looked around at the other Myers. I went to pretty much every Myers that there was in Victoria. I was very comfortable to say that I wasn't going to go outside of Victoria at this stage, early stage in the Ottoman Three, you know, story. We needed to keep local in order to manage well. And I, I went everywhere, every Myers in Victoria. I, I did a walk, did a drive, did a little you know, secret shopper experiment type thing. And none of them resonated with me, but Chadston always did. So I did what all good entrepreneurs do at this point in time. I bullied my way into Chadston. So how did I do that? Well, <laughs> uh, Maya holds these annual um, supplier meetings. So they give all of their suppliers a, a kind of like a one day conference. This actually only goes for a couple of hours. They give us the results of how the company is performing and so on and so forth. So I had gone to that. I actually remember I took my oldest brother with me as well. And it was in Federation Square. And I sat there listening to all the heads of different departments talk about how wonderful Maya was, which is great back in 2000 and it was probably 2010 at this point and they then eventually had Bernie Brooks which was the CEO of Maya at the time so he did his spill and as he was talking I realized there's only one person that is going to make this happen for me and make 
Chadston a possibility for me. And I was so confident that this was going to be the right location for store number two for Ottoman three. So after the conference had finished, as most keynote speakers say very politely, after this talk, feel free to, you know, come up to me and ask a question. And, you know, I'm just so happy to have a chat. And most people are either too intimidated or nervous or whatever it is. Most people actually don't go up to the keynote speakers after these type of events. And also it can get a little tricky, especially if there's a couple of hundred people in the room and all of that kind of stuff. My adrenaline was through the room roof because I knew that Bernie had the key to my next chapter of my entire career. So I put aside the nerves, I put aside, yeah, let's call it the dignity. And I went, right, let's corner him. So as soon as he got off the stage and the conference was officially completed, I walked up to him. He had only taken a couple of steps away from the stage. Someone had got in before me and introduced himself. So I just politely stood there and stood there right in front of the other person because, you know, God knows how long these conversations with other people can go for, but I made it very clear through my body language that I was not going to go anywhere until that person's conversation had been completed. So eventually Bernie turned around. It wasn't that long. It was only a couple of minutes, but you know, you know, in those moments, a couple of minutes can feel like forever. And so Bernie turned around and I introduced myself and I just told him very quickly, uh, you've heard this all before, guys, you have your elevator pitch. Well, everything that I had worked for in my professional career, I knew that it was in training for this next 60 seconds. That's how serious I took the next 60 seconds. The truth is, was it that important? Was it that serious? In retrospect, I'm still going to say yes when you find out the outcome of what happened after those next 60 seconds, but it actually is a real metaphor for the way that I really take seriously each step of my business and in fact in my life as well. Everything to me is like the Olympics if I really believe in it. So I train, I push, I struggle, and then I give it my all. And that's what happened in that 60 seconds. I introduced myself with full of energy, positivity, and I said, what I want next after being so successful with you guys in the first year is to open the next service in our in the Chadston location. However, I've been told that there's a three-year wait, but I believe, Bernie, that you can make this happen for me. Are you the man? And he looked down at me because he's a very tall, quite, he, he has quite a presence about him, but yeah, I'm quite short. I'm only five foot three, maybe five, five in a nice pair of heels. But yeah, he just looked down <laughs> at me and he gave me the warmest smile. And he, I can't tell you word for word what he said, but it was very, very positive. And he basically said, I will make sure that Penny makes this happen for you. And Penny was one of the other directors in the senior management team who, basically was then told make sure that this happens so needless to say I skipped the three-year wait to get in if I was even going to get in at that point had I not had this experience with the Bernie Brooks the CEO of Maya and within weeks I was now looking at documents to sign the next licensing agreement. Um, very similar to leasing normal real estate. Uh, a lot of people don't look at Maya as a landlord, but it very much is for concession businesses. They are simply your landlord. The only difference is this landlord typically takes a percentage of your revenue every week. 
as opposed to say normal real estate, you just agree on an annual amount that you would pay a fixed amount. So this is a variable amount when you're doing a licensing agreement with Maya in particular. And uh, like most leases and contracts, that percentage grows year on year on year. The assumption is you grow your revenue each year upon year upon year. So you never get complacent, right guys? Make sure that gets lock sealed and saved into the brain. So unbeknown to me, I'm sitting back going, this is wonderful. How lucky am I that I managed to corner Bernie Brooks and impress him enough to open the door for me to go into Chadston. This is such a wonderful story. This is something I'm going to tell on a podcast in 10 years time, surely, right guys? (laughs) And I am. 10 years later, here I am telling this story. However, unbeknown to me at the time, I had just stepped over multiple people's feet and I had no idea. You see, the levels of management that sit under Bernie obviously have their own strategies, have their own plans in place, but all of that gets thrown out the window. If the CEO walks in and goes, yeah, whatever, you're just gonna make this happen. It does not sit well with pretty much anybody, including yourself. If you get undermined, what does that do for you? And certainly it did a lot of bad stuff for me. But again, I am completely ignorant and naive to this because I've come in from a place of positivity and I believe that we're working as a team and we're working for the greater good of the company. If Ottoman 3 makes more money then Maya makes more money as I've explained how the licensing agreement works. So everyone's a winner, right? It's all good. Well, it's time now to pick the real estate on the uh, cosmetic floor of Maya. So of course there really isn't any real estate so they have to basically find space for me which I guess was not something that they were one prepared for and two a little resentful to. So not only did they have to make this space but they weren't told by their powers to be which space it was. So Yeah, I got some cosmetic floor space at Chadston, but I was given the back corner. Not only was I given the back corner, I was also given facing the back corner. Not only was I given the back corner facing the back corner, I was also given an L shape. An L shape which when you have reclining brow chairs that recline at two meters in length and literally cannot recline in the length of the floor space that's given to you, everything is going against you at this point. I am like bamboozled by how many roadblocks I'm hitting. But again, I'm super fresh and new to all of this. And I've come in with rose colored glasses thinking we're all on the same team and everyone is fighting for my success because my success is their success as well. And I still believe that that should be or should have been the direction, but nonetheless, roadblock, 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 roadblock. It was just relentless, but I kept persevering. And $150,000 later, I created a little, what you would probably call a pop-up now, but a little um, L-shaped concession on the cosmetic floor where it had about three uh, brow chairs, maybe four at the time 
could have been four or maybe we wanted four and we simply couldn't fit it with the little space that I was given and a manicure station because we still did nails at the time and I think that fit if not three maybe four stations on that and obviously you needed a point of sale area you needed retail area you needed a washing station by law we have to have hot and cold water running and that's really difficult on a department floor which has no plumbing so that's interesting when you've got to manually bring in your actual water I mean it was all against us all of it but we made it happen and I knew that this was a massive opportunity and this was going to be the tipping point I speak about the tipping point a lot and my team typically in head office usually roll their eyes when I mention tipping point because it's quite regular and maybe throughout the podcast you may pick up as to reasons why but along comes opening it looks beautiful with what we had to work with with all the struggles we made it happen and my existing brow artists and nail artists they were just so excited everyone was so proud to be part of this journey and we were growing so quickly and the assumption is we're going to turn over another million bucks in this store probably more because it's Chadston and this is the fashion capital of the world so everything is going to be fantastic just a side note guys the area we referred to that we sat on was referred to as a pod okay so just think of a perfect square and we were given an L shape of this perfect square so there was plenty more of the pod that hadn't been used yet in real in, in its real estate but it was left blank for potentially the next uh, concession that was gonna go in that had not been signed, that not had not been approved or any of those things. So we sat in this awkward looking space where the majority of what we were, where we were sitting next to was empty. Yet we're facing the back corner and all of this sort of stuff. Again, unbeknown to us, and now I'm going to name some names. At the time, they were trying to get in a brand called Aesop, which they had not had yet. But Aesop wanted to have the entire pod, not just three quarters of the pod. See, we had a quarter. They wanted all of it for however they wanted their retail fit out to look at. So this was interesting. Again, unbeknown to me. Nonetheless, the whole time that we were in this ridiculous third of a pod space, the rest was always vacant. So we open, grand opening. I put everything into it. We we do a full 60 second. No, it's actually longer. We do full commercial for YouTube. We use it in all our social medias. We were doing pretty well with the Facebook. So the world Instagram hadn't been um, launched at that point. We were very active with socials. We had things called influencers come in and this was very new back then and uh, some of them I still know to this day back then it was more your traditional journalists for newspapers and radio DJs and whatnot as opposed to I guess different types of influencers that you see now on your Instagrams so we had all of them we had a couple of wags and all of that kind of stuff for the opening and it all looked really good week one the store manager of Maya Chadston went in and got a manicure and she didn't like it. And she told her entire team. 
again, this stuff didn't filter down to me until a couple of weeks later. So you see what happens is in my, you have many levels of management, right? And at the top of the management per store is your store manager. And it's a very well respected role, one that people work many years to get to. You have a whole ton of training to get to that level. It's, um, it's a very prestigious role to have. And it's one that is the epitome of what leadership needs to be. Now, this store manager, she was lovely. Now, unbeknown to me, she did go and get a manicure that first week we opened and she was dissatisfied with it. And she innocently, and if you could see me right now, I'm using inverted commas, but basically she innocently told some people, which now if it was anyone else, fine. But when it's the store manager, that is basically gossip. Did it impact our bottom line? Oh, look, I don't know. At the end of the day, does it matter that a whole bunch of the Maya staff disliking our brand and not becoming customers important? Every customer counts when you first open and you take care of your community, which is something I say a lot to a lot of um, aspiring and budding entrepreneurs. The people around you are the people that are going to be your first customers. Take care of your friends and families. Give them friends and family discounts. They're going to be your voice boxes, the evangelists. Like These are the people that you need to really be mindful of making sure that they spread the word for you. So in this particular case, opening at our new Maya location, that was the same of the Maya staff members. So when I heard this, I was so disappointed because what should have happened was someone should have pulled aside one of our team leaders or myself at minimum and said, hey, listen, you know, I had a manicure. It didn't really go well. Here are the issues that I had with it. You, you know, learn from it. And that would have been taken very well and we would have moved forward from it. Because don't forget, when you first open up any business, in particular a service business, you're in training wheels, things fall off, you're learning your new new normal. Things are not going smoothly ever at the beginning. It doesn't matter how many stores you have. Every new location is like starting all over again. So it is expected for errors to be made. The people that we expect to be tolerant to them, however, I would imagine is your fellow colleagues. And in my eyes, the staff members of Maya were fellow colleagues, but it didn't feel like that. Leading up to what was inevitably the end of our term then, just was bad business. The floor space was not as busy as it was at High Point. Certainly in the direction that we were positioned on the floor, we were not seeing the foot traffic that we were used to seeing in High Point. We were in a really high trafficked area in our High Point location. Um, so there was a lot of differences there and the uptake and the speed of growth just was not the same at all. And it was quite quite nauseating to say the least. So the numbers are trickling in and they're nowhere near what we had forecasted or budgeted for. And the uncomfortable conversations are starting to be had. And at first it's starting at store level and guys, what else can we do? Any internal promotions that you guys can help us with? And that, you know, there's certain steps that you go through, but eventually we had gotten to the point where it just, it was too little too late. And I was going to need much more than store level support. I was going to need head office support. So I actually wrote an email 
to the CEO, Bernie, because at this point I feel like he's my homie, right? Like he opened the door for me. He's going to be open to hearing some of the feedback. And one of the feedbacks that I did give him was I felt that at a store level, we were not being carried well and that we were not being looked after. And we use the example of you know, when your store manager is complaining that she's not happy with her manicure to her colleagues, this is detrimental because she set the tone of what people thought of our brand. We didn't even have a week's grace period before it was already spoken about negatively. Um, there was a lot more detail in there in this email, but basically it, the crust of it was, I was not getting enough support from Maya to help us um, grow. What I got in return from Bernie Brooks was not a sentence, was not a paragraph. It was, uh, imagine an A4 piece of paper and fully typed out. Like it was a lengthy email, but essentially he backed his team till the end in this email. He did not take any of the critique that I had posed to him at all. He literally supported everything that his team had done wholeheartedly. And I do admire that by the way. But at the very end, he made one particular statement. Technically, if I could have ever experienced what it felt like to have a knife grow, go through my stomach, then at this point is when I have felt the actual pain of a knife going through my stomach. And it was because of the sentence that said, Minnie, you need to look into the mirror to answer the question as to why your business is failing. And boy, did that stab in the gut literally leave me winded. I was breathless. I was shaken. I was woke as the word is these days that is used quite commonly. I did not see that coming. Like I said earlier in the email, he is backing up his team. I respect that. That's, you know, so he should. But to then also unequivocally <laughs> tell me to look in the mirror and basically blame myself for the failure of this company or this particular store. I was just dumbfounded. I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. What I thought I would get was what I was hoping to get was, yeah, no worries, Minnie. Here's some um, additional support. We'll try ABC. Let's see how we go. And worst case scenario is, look, we just can't help you. We're just going to have to call it a day and move forward. But at never at any point did I expect him to actually be personal to me. And the truth was I was personal to his team as well. So you get what you're given guys um, at every single level. So yeah, that felt interesting when the CEO of Maya tells you to look in the mirror and blame yourself for your failure. The reason I can tell this story today is because 10 years has passed and I'm able to say it without having a nervous breakdown. So that's good. What ended up happening guys was a gentleman agreement. We agreed to exit the license agreement, we were only one year in and we actually terminated it with no financial uh, levy that was required because that's typically what happens if you break a lease or a contract or an agreement, you'll have to pay out a certain amount. They agreed to let us out free, basically. So happy about that. That's only because we had another store that was doing really well. So I had leverage in that particular negotiation. So at 11 months, we packed down. We did it overnight, okay? Uh, 
We walk in one day and we walk out the next over Red Rover. I disappeared for three days into my apartment and I didn't leave. And I literally mourned. I mourned like it was the death of a person. And it was the first time that Ottoman three had experienced failure. You know, when you start off so high, you actually don't anticipate to be having a low so quickly into the journey. So I actually, before I shut down for three days, I allowed myself to have the three days. I consciously said to myself, you go feel really bad, cry, watch sad movies, eat McDonald's, whatever it is that is the feeling sorry for yourself emotions are and feel it. But at the end of that three days, you pick yourself up and you save your company. Because if you do not pick yourself up, you're also going to lose high point. If you lose high point, not only do you lose your dreams, but now you've taken people on your dream and you are responsible for several individuals who now work for you. So it is the most selfish thing I could do was to have a breakdown. And I would not do that. I allowed myself to have a micro breakdown. It was three days worth. Okay. Day three, I go visit my parents and my dad, my parents live in Taylor's Lakes guys, which is in the Western suburbs of Melbourne, Victoria. And my dad says to me, you know what? You got to open up a little shop here in water garden. It's crazy. Water garden crazy. There are people everywhere. I tell ya, you make a killing in water gardens. And I'm like, oh my God, honey, I cannot go from the fashion capital of Chadston, southeastern suburbs, and degrade myself to the western suburbs of a location called Water Gardens Town Centre, where nobody has heard of, where all the Westies just hang out. Like, that is not going to happen. Do you even know what my brand looks like? And I did not say that to my father. That's the internal dialogue I'm having with myself. At which point I followed Bernice Brooks advice, looked in the mirror and what did I see? A Western suburbs chick. That is who I am through and through. I was born in Footscray Hospital. That is the same council of High Point Shopping Centre, okay? I grew up in Sunshine, Deer Park, Keelor Downs, Taylor's Lakes. Who am I kidding? I am a Westie. So I made a call. I was introduced to the casual leasing team. I said, what does it cost to lease a mid-mall kiosk per week? Because I ain't got much money. In fact, I ain't got any. And they told me what the leasing terms were for a casual lease. So basically you just pay it week on week, no commitment. You pop in, you pop out. It wouldn't hurt. I thought I'll try it for three months. If I can get anywhere in three months, then maybe I can at least recoup my costs. So I called in my cousin, who's a tradie. I called in my brother who knows how to use a, you know, a tool here or there. And we took the fit out that we had got from Chadston, which by the way, is not like a flat pack Ikea type thing. Um, it is like proper plaster tiles, the whole lot, like a proper bricks and mortar type fit out. And somehow we got it repurposed. Um, bless my cousin Chevy, who had a kitchen making business at the time. And we used some of the structure from that and built this little 20 square meter pocket. It was like a little box. And we created it as a mid-mall kiosk in Water Gardens, where I'm originally from, right in front of Priceline near Target. And we set up shop. I brought one brow artist with me. And just like any new business, we stood there all day. 
without serving anyone. But the next day we serve someone and the day after we serve two people and the day after we serve three people. Like it was a very slow run. But what I did differently with this particular store that I didn't do with Chadston because I was so busy with High Point is I actually gave Water Gardens 100% of my time. High Point was ticking along quite well. So I was able to remove myself from it from a day-to-day base. I wasn't on the tools, but I put myself on the tools at water gardens. I am not a threader guys. 10 years later, over 600,000 brows. I have never ever threaded a single eyebrow. That is not where my lane is. I keep the best of the best doing that on the daily. My expertise and where I shine best is talking to people and at times when it needs to be convincing people to take a seat. I am, God, I hate to say this, but I'm a dirty salesman at the end of the day. I can sell ice to an Eskimo if need be, if my life depends on it. And in this particular case, my entire dream, my entire bank account and my entire team depended on this little pop-up in front of Priceline at Water Gardens to succeed. Remember guys, we were the very first brow threading company in Australia. What you see now where the threaders are everywhere all over the country, it did not exist back then. This was very new to market. In fact, I had to write a proposal to Water Gardens explaining what threading was in order to get this casual leasing spot. Now they have from memory four to five different brands that do threading in Water Gardens, but I was the first and I was the one to introduce it to the company and convince them that it was a legitimate business model. I stood there and I was a maitre d'. Maitre d' is French for master of the floor. You typically have maitre d's in restaurants and cafes and they're the people that take your appointments, sit you down, make sure that you are served, taken care of, looked after. Three months, didn't take a day off, seven days a week. I say three months is when I took my first day off because that's when I had enough customers for me to take a breather. We did that location for a little over a year as a casual and then we then converted into a standalone store inside Water Gardens which we've been there ever since. So in totality it's 2019 now we've been in Water Gardens for um, a little over seven years. So it's our number one store. It typically this year it's um, fighting for first place with High Point but uh, typically it is our number one store it's always been our number one store and I really ate my words and I put my head between my legs and I have apologized ever since for being such an absolute snob and disrespectful towards the western suburbs because at the end of the day it is the Westies that have saved my company who have supported me. A lot of my Water Gardens customers are actually from High Point still or they go back and forth because it's not too they're only like a 20-25 minute drive apart but they're both in the west um, I've had different stores in different locations over the years as well that have done okay but no one has really been able to beat the water gardens model what is the lesson there people <laughs> one person's failure can be another person's success well in our case one location's failure i.e Chadston was what really was going to open the door for the success of water gardens because I promise you I would never have considered water gardens had I not been in that horrible position that I was in with Chadston I had just spent 150 grand on a fit out that most of it had to go into the bin because it couldn't be saved but there was a couple of pieces that we were able 
able to save and convert into a little pop-up. I don't know if you listen to this end to end because this went on for about 40 minutes. It's quite cathartic to talk about it. Somewhat sarcastic at times and I hate that when I speak sarcastically because at the end of the day it was real life and my real life and it was a lot of money involved and a lot of heartache and in between all of that I was going through my first divorce so you know there's a lot of emotions that go on behind all of that that I'm only telling you the business side of things but from the personal side my entire world was falling apart and the western suburbs is who saved me so i will always be indebted to west side my wolf gang that is the story of ottoman three chadston and how water gardens became alive i hope you enjoyed guys see you on the next podcast wolf gang unite